This week, we welcome Lauren Shannon from Arigato Food Tours, based in Tokyo, Japan. Lauren, Lauren. Well, that's pretty confusing. Well, they'll discuss what it's like working in the tour sector of the travel industry right now, as well as some of the benefits of online experiences and a look ahead at inbound tourism here in Japan. department store which is not a department store but which is in fact a coffee shop with none other than Jessup and today we are joined by my good friend Lauren Shannon from Arigato Food Tours. Hey hi Laura hi Jessup thanks for asking me to do this I'm so excited I love your podcast. Thank you very much and thank you for paying for the coffee today. No worries no worries no worries. I think this is our first uh, coffee shop podcast too. So there could be some sound in the background but we'll try to avoid to edit it out with some sound effects later. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> bum, bum. We can also add in our own sound effects. Yeah, true. So um, I met Lauren um, back in June 2019 at the Arrival Conference in Bangkok. Arrival is uh, a conference which is put on for the tour and activity sector of in, a in travel destination. Industry. In tra- destination travel, which is the best part of travel. Exactly. As the Arrival Shout guys out to Arrival. Like to say. Mm-hmm. Here you go, Douglas. Hi, See, Douglas. I mentioned you again already. <laughs> so uh, we were both in Bangkok for that conference. Um, I had just moved to Japan literally two months before. Yeah. And and I didn't have any friends yet. Yeah. I was now in- you have tons and you don't need me anymore. <laughs> That's why I don't see you right, right now. Right? Now. <laughs> exactly. You're um, Su- Susie popular now. That's it. <laughs> Susie popular. <laughs> but no, I had no friends basically. And um, we connected on the, the conference app first and yeah. then we met in person. And On the first day we were both nervous. I was nervous because I'd never been to the conference, didn't know anyone. You were nervous because you were about to give your first like big, huge public speech, which I promised to go to as soon as I met you. So yes, you did. I did. Nice. Um, yeah, so there was nerves everywhere and yeah. uh, it was a fantastic conference and Lauren became a great friend and she took me under her wing and made me feel very welcome in Japan and introduced me to people and basically looked after me. And as I've gotten to know Lauren over the past uh, year and a half coming up, I have been consistently surprised and impressed by all of your stories of your experiences, both professionally here and also just what you get up to in your personal life, all the adventures you go on. Thank you. So I am really thrilled to have you today on the podcast and hopefully you can tell everyone else about some of your amazing adventures. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now, now I feel a ton of pressure. But no, it was great meeting you. And, and again, really thanks to you guys for having me on. I'm happy to talk about Japan and travel. And I love that you did this podcast. I mean, I think one of the best things about coronavirus is people trying and doing new things. And um, it's one of the few, I guess, good things is we've all had to kind of, we've had this opportunity to slow down and try new stuff and stuff we always wanted to do. And, you know, we have a lot of time on our hands, like every else and so it's good to use it productively and build community and all that yeah i definitely feel like we're all more connected you know in a weird way yeah no i was gonna say that we'll talk about that later when um you know if i get a chance to talk about the i just finished up a new arrival conference online and i think we're gonna chat about that later and remind me i wanted to say something about connectedness (laughs) 
Okay, I will ask you about that. All and right. can you give people just like a little bit of background sure. into like when you came to Japan sure. and what you've done right. since you've been here? Yeah, so I've been in Japan a long time. It's coming up on 24 years, I think. And when I first came to Japan, I lived in a rural area on Shikoku, the smallest of the four big islands. And um, I loved it. I was there for three years, but I met hard a city girl. So when the three years were up on the project we were working on, we moved up to Tokyo, and um, I worked with a wine import. I've had many lives in Japan. I've been many people. They, said they, they are interconnected in my mind, but other people probably won't think so. But I worked for a wine company that was introducing California wine into Japan. And at that time, the only wine from California that was available in Japan was like huge producers like Mondavi and whatever. And we were representing 50 small boutique wineries and introducing them into the Japanese market. So I drank a lot. I ate a lot. All my customers were restaurant customers. Uh -huh. um, so I was selling B2B and it was amazing. And I did that for a few years. So, uh, yeah, so I worked in the restaurant business for a while. And then about eight years ago, I got into tourism. And I've been doing that ever since in different ways. And, yeah, I think my time in Japan has really... What I'm super passionate about now and why I'm staying in tourism, even in this terrible COVID year, is I think that um, people who've been here for a while and really know how amazing it is can be really great bridges between local Japanese folks and um, inbound tourists. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like... I think both sides are super interested in each other, but there's some barriers, and I think people like us can be really effective in, in bridging those gaps, and so that's what I'm really passionate about now, and now I'm a, an owner and GM of a food tour company called Arigato Japan, and that gets you up to date. Nice. <laughs> Here I am. That was very brief for you, because Lauren right? loves to talk, I do, so I'm, I do. I'm once again impressed. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> so you mentioned you got into the travel industry eight years ago. Yeah. Uh, how did you get started? What was what was your first gig? So I, it's a crazy story actually. So I was running this little barbecue restaurant that I had opened up, um, and I was subleasing from this Japanese guy who then four months after we were in there decided he didn't want to be in the restaurant business anymore, and he kicked us out. And that was like the end. Of four my, months after yeah. starting a restaurant, and, and we did all of the interior design and everything. So it was a huge heartbreak. So this is what finally pushed me out of the hospitality business. I was like, screw that, never doing that again. That sucks. And um, <laughs> but right before all that happened, uh, a guy, a French guy, that was in a startup that was doing an internet um, itinerary building platform. He had come and did an event at my restaurant because I used to love to let people host events there. And uh, he gave his pitch to me, and then someone else came in and I introduced him and gave his pitch back to them. And he said, at that time, he said, you know. I should just hire you. You really understand what we're doing. And I was like, oh, that would be fun. But anyway, I'm running a restaurant. And then like a month later, uh, I posted this like goodbye cruel world message. Like I was like, this sucks. I'm out of the restaurant Not business. Bitter. I was like, this sucks. I'm out of the restaurant business. My the owner of this place, I hate him. And I was like, oh, total self. self <laughs> Did you say that? No, no, I didn't. But the words to those effects, I had a total meltdown on you Facebook. You shamed him online. Uh, well, he wouldn't be. He was like 80 Japanese guy. Never. I don't think he's even on. Facebook but anyway so I had this meltdown on Facebook and this guy Mark um, sent me the best message back um, I, I can't use these words unless you guys bleep people but anyway he wrote back and he said 
them, I want to have a meeting with you tomorrow. And basically, he took me out to lunch, and he said, you're amazing. If you're getting out of the restaurant business, why don't you come and meet our team and, and you know, come on board? Because I had, you know, being in the restaurant business, being in hospitality, you do a ton of marketing, a ton of team building, a ton of management. I'd been running my own place. I'd run a place before that was, like, 200 seats. I had, like, 50 staff, you know. So I had the background to come in, and they were just ramping up. And so he wanted somebody to do, like, community building and, you know, manage the content team. And I was also freelance writing at the time. I've always done a lot of writing, so I was freelance writing throughout. So he was like, come on board. And I said, okay. And um, I did that for a couple years. And then classic Japan story, a bigger company, their investors mm -hmm. decided that they wanted to pivot to China. So they basically, I ran an English content team. So writing was on the wall that there wasn't going to be much need for that if they were doing all Chinese inbound. So uh, I, I, at that did time... Did you get back onto Facebook and shame them? No, I didn't. <laughs> I, left, I left and did what I had, was going to do when I closed the restaurant. I was going to start my own agency. And my agency was going to be supporting small businesses run by women. So I, after the second heartbreak in that many years, I said, okay, that's it. Start my agency, even if I don't have any clients. I, I had a kind of buyout deal from the China company, so I had a few months leeway. So I started this agency, and my first client was Anne, the founder of Arigato Japan. And we hit it off really well immediately, and I was just supposed to be consulting her. Um, and she just kept giving me more and more work, till the point where, like, six months later, I had no time for any other clients. So I said, you know, this is kind of silly. I can't do any other clients anyway. Why don't I just come work for you? So, And we've been together, and that was about six months after her company started. So I've been with her for almost four, just about four years now. And it's been amazing. And uh, I joined as a full partner about a year ago. That's great. Yeah. Okay, and that's a really good segue into my next question because um, Anne's you business. Up on there you go. <laughs> Anne's business is, of course, Arigato Food Tours, yep. uh, which you are now the general manager of. Yep. And over the last four years, it's grown from Anne yep. to Anne and yourself to Anne, yourself, and many, many, many staff. Yep. And you've expanded out of Tokyo into a number of different cities across Japan. Yep. And you guys have amazing food tours all over the country. Thank you. And I'm feeling hungry just thinking about. Oh, there you go. Me too. So, um, why don't you talk us through what you think is your favorite food tour that you guys do? Tell us which city it's in and kind of just give us a rundown of it to whet everybody's appetites. Um, okay, so first of all, like the way we approach food tours, I think it's true for many food tour operators, but not maybe everybody on your podcast gets what this is. Um, we use food as a gateway to culture. So the whole point of the food tour is not just to eat the food. That's a huge part of it. But it's like getting people together around food is a great way to talk about culture and history and sightseeing um, and in Japan especially where we are absolutely 100% obsessed with food in this country it's like the quickest way in so there's all these barriers to Japanese understanding Japanese but not through the food mm -hmm. like the food just go right so so she started the food tour company she actually started out with cooking school and then that was super unprofitable and really difficult and at the same time she was doing a little bit of touring on the side and that turned out to be super fun and profitable so that was the pivot she made when I joined um, and we have 32 tours now in five cities and favorite is tough for me because just like I like all different kinds of movies and all different kinds of music I really love all of our tours 
but I would say... I'm going to push you. You have to pick one. <laughs> I know. I would say recently, the one I've been missing, so I'll, I'll answer it that way. The one I've been missing is we have this amazing tour in Uji in Kyoto. Mm -hmm. And so Uji's really famous for green tea, and I've been on a huge green tea and matcha, you know, trend this year. And so this is the birthplace of Japanese matcha, is basically Uji. They started growing it like a thousand years ago there. Is that all? It's, uh, it's literally like a 15-20 minute train ride outside of downtown Tokyo, Kyoto. Mm -hmm. And what's nice about that is like um, Kyoto's really famous for tourists, gets really touristy, but most people don't know about Uji. So you can just hop on a local train, go 15-20 minutes, and then you're in this beautiful riverside town. Oh, it sounds beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. And they've been, they know everything about matcha. They've been welcoming people there from all over Japan for centuries and now foreigners um, and the food we have there so it's a food tour so we have to talk about food obviously we have tea but the first place we go to to lunch looks right over this beautiful river in Uji and we have like all green tea inspired food so green tea noodle soba we have beautiful tempura with like green tea salt um, it's just lovely uh, and then we go and we make our own matcha so we learn how to grind matcha which is super fun and then at the end we have this delicious um, really good vanilla soft serve ice cream with fresh matcha powder on it that we just ground oh. so yeah it's it's a very special tour and when so and very hands-on as well yeah, I like exactly that. yeah we're trying to do more where there's some sort of like backstage access activity that our guests can do to get their hands a little dirty so I really love that one and then in Tokyo my big favorite has always been Tsukiji Market even after the market moved to Toyosu I love the Tsukiji Market I love the people that work there the fish vendors are amazing the tuna is amazing like I, we eat so much food and I every time we go there I spend so much money like there's no point in doing the tour because I always buy a ton of stuff and yeah I love it I love the market whenever you guys come to Tokyo anybody listening to this podcast um, if you're in Tokyo do the Tsukiji tour with me request me I'll take you and then you are going to be inundated <laughs> and then for Kyoto definitely think about the tea tour if you like tea and we also do a sake brewery tour down there which is if you're leaning more on the sake side we do that too we'll do the sake one first exactly. and then go for the green tea there you go. There you go. Exactly. All right. So obviously COVID has impacted or devastated the travel industry, and I'm sure your business is no exception. Yeah, no, we're inbound. So yeah, no. Right. So what? It's a big no. What, what have you guys, <laughs> what have you guys been doing, if anything, to, to kind of counter the impact or maybe uh, to grab a, an opportunity that you wouldn't have done prior to COVID? And one piece of advice we took really early on was to like, you know, the Japanese government provided a lot of like grants and loans and stuff, but it was important to apply really early. So we secured some funding, some of it, you know, no payback, some of it has to be paid back. Um, but we, we made us, ourselves a nice long runway. And then I would say our company was pretty lucky because we were built lean and we decided early on, like we didn't want an office. We, so we've already been working remote. Um, we didn't have a lot of overhead. So we just kind of buckled down on all of that. Um, and then we spent a lot, the first half of COVID I would say is different than the second half. So the first part so far, we did a lot of, I think what everyone did, some soul searching and infrastructure work and looked at our websites and looked at all the things that you never have time to do when your business is moving, right? So we, we did a lot of that. For us, it was really weird because we traveled right before the lockdowns started. Right. We did a team training in Boracay in Manila. 
And so it was like this team training on this beautiful beach town, and we were all like, this is going to be the best year ever. I was in the U.S. in February. Everyone's yeah. high-fiving, breaking records. And, <laughs> and so so like I mark that moment because we, we flew to Boracay on like the 30th of January, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like 99% of the Japanese on this plane are all wearing masks. We were wearing masks, but we're like, oh, this will be over soon. And, and then it wasn't. And so we did all of that like soul-searching. Um, we learned to make sourdough bread like everybody else. And, a little bit yeah, of crying. Yeah, a lot of crying. Um, but really early on, we were interested in the like online experiences um, option. How did how did you even become familiar with the online experience option? Because I can I can remember having the same discussion with some of my colleagues when I was working, and they thought I was talking about way in the future. Like, yeah. So we saw. I think because I have done things, I've used Airbnb as a client, and I used to host an Airbnb um, apartment in Tokyo years ago. So I'm on their mailing list. So they made the pivot first, right? And mm. the experience, and because they're such good marketers, the the experiences were really well marketed. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe we could do something from Japan. And there was nobody at the beginning of the Airbnb experiences. There were no Japanese hosts. So we, my my partner and I were like, well, let's see what they're like because we couldn't really imagine it. And I got lucky. The first one we did was this Zoom around Paris. And I was like, what the hell is Zoom? Like, what? Like, it sounds so funny now. Like, everyone knows how to Zoom, right? right. But we didn't know how to do that. And it was like Zoom around Paris. And what, what struck us right away is there was like six people on this, like, guided tour of Paris. Like, he just used Google Maps and images. But he was telling us all his favorite places and all these, like, secret tips. And I was like, we can totally do this from Japan. And at the end of the experience, the other guests that were not my partner and I were saying to him, like, can we get your contact information because when we come back to France we want to hire you and it was like that first experience this massive light bulb went off and I was like this is not about making money this is like a lead generator mm-hmm. and I actually believed right at that moment we went back and had this whole confab about it and I believe that this is the new um, guidebook so I believe that, you know, everyone always asks. So, and then right after that, I was on this panel for Arrival. This was an early spring um, road to recovery. They called it yeah. in March, which was like, yeah, road to recovery. Ha, ha, ha. We are not even on that road anymore. But I was on this panel, and it was me and these four guys, three guys. And Douglas from Arrival asked them, you know, online tours, is it going to keep going, whatever. And everyone was like, no. No, they suck. Don't waste your money. And I was like, I totally disagree. And I told them why. And I think that connecting with a real live local before your travel is going to be the best way to learn about new destinations. It's going to be the best way to ask questions um, before you go. It's going to make travel so much more intimate, being able to join these like small group online experiences. And then we did, we went on another one, which I recommend all tour operators, if you're not sure about online experiences, take some good ones and see what's possible. But we went on one with this great guy from Colombia that is a cafe coffee connoisseur no Mexico he's from Mexico and um, and it was amazing and he brewed coffee and I was like I can do this with green tea so we our first experience was a green tea experience and it was all about travel and enjoying green tea in Japan and then I teach people how to make really good green tea at home because most people oversteep um, and over over make their green tea and then it's really bitter and whatever so yeah so we started that it got really good reviews it kept us relevant it kept my team working together we built it as a team with my with 
some of our guides helped us get the materials together and, you know, watched it, did practices. And, and since then, we've done five more. But what's really exciting about it is that we are now selling these to DMOs, DMCs, and prefectures because I believe that when travel comes back to Japan, people are finally going to get off of this route of like only Tokyo, Kyoto, and Osaka. Mm-hmm. And so the best way to introduce amazing destinations in Japan is to like plant the seeds before people come. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go to Kanazawa or you want to go to Niigata, if you can take an online experience first and ask all those questions that you're afraid of, how do I get there? What should I do when I'm there? You know, even if you love doing research, feeling like you know somebody who knows something about the place is so much more exciting, right? So we are doubling down on the online experiences, and now we're we're using them to help DMOs, DMCs, and destinations and prefectures like market their their location, which is great. So we've gotten some contracts. That's how we made money at it, not with the guests, because you have to keep it inexpensive. Though I disagree, a lot of travel companies are doing them for free, like free webinars and stuff. I don't think it's good because people don't have any skin in the game. Make Mm -hmm. your guests pay a little bit so that you can pay your guides something. Mm -hmm. Um, Get your team active in this. Like, yeah, it's been great. How much do you think customers are willing to pay? The average is between $10 and $25, unless you're somebody famous. So there's some really famous people doing online experiences now, like amazing chef that has three Michelin stars and whatever. You know, people are paying like up to 100 bucks to do something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if you stay within the like 10 to $25, and you know, it was interesting. We might have gotten into sending food boxes to do these, but but they shut down the post office in Japan, right? (laughs) So we couldn't ship outside of Japan. So we never did that. But some really successful folks have combined online experiences with like local food boxes which is cool because they can support the local businesses that are also struggling so if your food tour used to go to this great shop and try these great cookies or something you can actually send that in a box yeah we also had a look at sending food by post yeah yeah it's just a bit of a no-no at the minute but someday yeah at some point it might be back on the cards yeah yeah so moving on uh, I know you've been really busy recently not just planning all your online tours but you have been back at Arrival yes uh, online Arrival yes. this time rather than in person and you have been facilitating yeah can you tell us a bit about what you were facilitating sure and also what the general kind of vibe was within the industry at the minute yeah so Arrival has done a lot of online programming since the pandemic started but this last one I think is their their crown jewel so far so they did something called Arrival 360 and it was like five days of programming spread out over almost two weeks so it was nice because it wasn't like five days in a row there was space in between which I think helps people you know prepare and come back and learn Um, and I did a couple of like meetup type round tables where I was just like facilitating a conversation with other food tour operators and they were specific to food tours and then what was really cool this year they added the fifth day was called Arrival Food Camp and it was incorporating guides and training and HR for tour operators. And oh, that's, which is kind of what you've been yes, getting into as well. Exactly. Yeah. And that is the piece that I always felt was missing at Arrival and at these conferences. Like, they always talk about reservation technology and websites and marketing. And, but, you know, the day-to-day is like, if you don't have great guides, you don't have great experiences. And so this last day, I got to do a panel with some amazing people and then two sessions, one about scaling using sort of a guide-centric mentality to scale your business. And then the other one was about how you develop new product not on your own as an operator like how to include your team and and your community in product development and they were amazing um and what i would say overall 
it was a tough arrival because everyone's dealing with really tough times and right during the middle of arrival was when a lot of European cities started to lock down again so for operators it's a really stressful time but what I think is the biggest silver lining of COVID is that literally the entire globe is going through the same thing at the same time mm-hmm. and so I don't think we would ever of course I met you at arrival and I've tried to meet people but I think there's a, a real understanding that we're all in this together we can all support each other we can collaborate rather than compete and so like during one of the roundtables I got the idea somebody gave me the idea oh you should do a holiday tour for Japan an online experience about New Year's and Christmas holidays I went to bed that night thinking about it and what I realized by the next day when I was doing another roundtable was that I want to host ours but I want to get in touch with any other operators that are doing a holiday experience and post a web page of everybody so it's like I want to tell people like you can't travel and see your family for Christmas this year but you can all come to Japan or you can all go to London or you can all have these online experiences so I I said that in my next session and all these people wrote me and said oh that's great and we'll promote yours too and and I think that wouldn't have happened a year ago I would agree right I would definitely agree and I feel we've all learned so much about ourselves and about each other and about the industry and so it sucks but you know but 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 so so basically you felt like the atmosphere was more of a collaboration type yeah it's like we all need to dig deep and we can all support each other and I think people liked you know misery loves company is the negative way to say it but people (laughs) like knowing that they're not going through this alone Mm -hmm. and so I think Arrival did everybody a huge service pushing ahead with it and they made it super cheap for operators Mm -hmm. you could do just the boot camp day I think for like $35 and then you have access to all the programming for a year and do you think people were feeling positive overall no I would say it was realistic so I think no not depressed I would say there was a a good dose of realism everywhere like everyone was like we need to hunker down we need to figure out how to make this work we need to survive and how do we do that Um, but there was still like it's like we know there's an end to this we don't know when it is but we know there's an end to it so the attitude was kind of like this is really tough now but we can all get through this and that was kind of the vibe I felt anyway so this um, online conference um, was actually in the middle of the night Japan time. Yeah. So I'd I'd signed up and registered for it, and then realised that it would involve me sitting at my computer at like two or three a.m. And I'm like a nine o'clock in bed type girl. So. Me too. Me too. I, got <laughs> so, <it. laughs> I just thought there's absolutely no way I can go to that. So I am once again impressed. Yeah. By your stamina to actually not just watch but to facilitate and like engage with the people that's impressive I would have to get up an hour before make a pot of tea green tea yeah green and black and whatever (laughs) I could consume in the middle of the night but then the harder part was I would be so excited afterwards that like one of the sessions was like 3am over at 4 right so technically I should have been able to go back to sleep but then I was like oh this is amazing and these people were amazing and like my brain so (laughs) it's like buzzing and forget it yeah forget it so so I was happy when arrival ended it was great, but Douglas, you know, five days over that two weeks was tough. <laughs> Let's do another one in Asia. Like, that was hard. Yes, please. Asia time. <laughs> exactly. And then I can also push us There we go. Yeah. Yeah, it was inspiring. And, you know, I have to go back, and I'm not just saying this. So in Japan, when you kind of, like, you know, kiss somebody's ass or whatever, you say, go must do, which means, like, grinding the sesame seeds. But I'm not doing that. In the, I'm not doing that in this case. Right. 
I'm not doing that in this case, but um, your first speech was one of the first ones where I saw an operator doing a speech like that at arrival, and it was super impressive. And so, like, I, I was like, I want to be her someday. So, wow. Yeah. So yeah. So you're inspiring. So. Hey, why? Yeah, I always yeah. say I want to be more like Lauren. No, no, no. Your speech was so funny. I still don't have your sense of humor in speech. If you guys can look it up, her. I think her speech is oh, online God, no. at arrival, <laughs> and it's about um, it's about growth and managing growth, and and it was brilliant. It was it was really good. I never would have believed it was your first like big in front of a lot of people speech. Wow, thank you very much. No problem. Yeah. But if people do look that up, because it is a video, not just a sound recording, I have to say, I'd never spoken in front of a huge room of people before, and I had no idea that you can get dry mouth when yeah. you get nervous. Like, this concept was alien to me. And just before I went on stage, they basically said, you can't take any water off. So I started, and then my mouth went really, really dry. <laughs> I didn't really know what was happening. <laughs> and it got so dry that my my lips stuck to my gums and I resembled a horse. No, she didn't. No, I did, I did. And then and then in my head I was kind of thinking like, holy crap, what do I do about this? Because like my lips are stuck to my gums and I can't get them out and my tongue's so dry, dry, I can't even prise it up there to try and separate them. And then I would try and swallow just to get some saliva, but there was nothing there. And I was trying to talk at the same time. So <laughs> and by the way, I have to say, at these times in arrival, they had really short speeches. You had like 10 minutes or something ridiculous, 20 minutes. Oh, it was really, it was super yeah. super short, and you had a lot to say, so I imagine you were like, ah, but yeah. nobody could tell, only your, no, really your mom. No, I know, no you can it. definitely tell, because a couple of people recorded it on their phone at the time, so I had a, they sent it on WhatsApp, and I sent it straight to my mom, and the first thing she said was, oh, did you have a dry mouth then, Laura? <laughs> but, uh, moms. Yeah, but you know, only your mom. Notice, no one else noticed. Oh, well, every time I watch it, I'm like, oh my god, oh, this no, is everybody awful. go, go watch Look it. Look at my face. That. It was wonderful. <laughs> now everyone's going to pay even closer <laughs> right? attention. Yeah. They're going to be like, yeah, that lip is firmly stuck to her gums. Oh my. It was great. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's hilarious. Yeah. But it's funny because actually where I met Laura was at the WIT conference last July. Right. And uh, Which is a web in travel Japan-based yeah, Thank you. Yeah. And uh, I was really impressed with Laura even though she wasn't on stage. But there was a guy that did present on stage named Jeff Pond. Oh, Jeff Who Pond. is absolutely Hilarious. incredible. And if oh, nice. Look Crying at, with laughter. Yeah. So nice. That's, Crying. That's another one to look up. And hopefully we'll have him on the podcast. Podcast oh, as well, great. but and then we actually ironically went out with uh, um, Douglas from Arrival yeah, yeah. afterwards and sang karaoke uh, yeah. with Jeff and the crew. Yeah. So small world. Yeah, it is a small world in travel, isn't it, it? It is, and getting smaller all the time. And I think in all the right ways. Like I think. I think people are going to come out. And I don't think this is going to go away. I mean, I think we're all going to get busy and we won't be able to be maybe as close and do as many sort of like passion projects as we're doing now once things come back. But I don't think we're going to lose these connections. I, I'm going to try not to anyway. And talking about passion projects, mm. you have also started a podcast. I have. Which I know you'd, you'd been thinking about for a long, long, long time. Long time, yeah. And then... Um, Myself and Jessup started this one. Yeah. And I sent and you a message and said, hey, guess what? Me and Jessup have just started a podcast. And yeah. I think it was well, like our first 10-minute episode. It was more of a trailer, th- yeah. yeah. Or a therapy session, or yeah, yeah. we were just, just kind of testing throwing it throwing a few coins around. <laughs> and, um, and I remember you dropping the coins. Yeah. The <laughs> and then immediately, or like the next day, you sent yeah. a message back and said, you just inspired me. Yeah. I started my own, and I've literally just published my own first episode. Yeah. I think less than 24 hours after we told you. 
Yeah, it was crazy. You did it, and my best friend Terry did it as well. And you guys both put them out in the same week. And I was like, okay, I've been thinking about doing this for like two years. This is ridiculous. So I should just do it. And yeah, it's really fun. What's so, the, what's the so name? Please, yeah, please yeah. plug it. So it's called Tokyo Tea Time because obviously I like green tea and all that. But um, and it's a lot about food and food culture in Japan. It's not just about tea because I kind of use tea time as like what we're doing right here, like sitting around talking over coffee or tea or good food. Um, and I try to talk about different cultural aspects about how we eat in Japan, not just what we eat, but like what what it's all about here. And it's been fun. I've done four episodes. I'm working on the fifth, and I've had a couple guests, just two guests so far, but super fun. So yeah, I'm, I'm still. I, w- I don't want to be one of those people that starts a podcast and then stops. So oh, that's we my goal. Did we did for yeah. three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then people questioned. I literally had yeah. people writing in from like Canada and other parts of Asia, like, "Hey, are you guys still around?" I miss yeah, the your only podcast. person who wrote me about that was my mom. She was like. <laughs> Because I don't have that many listeners yet, I think. But my mom was like, did I miss one? Did you put one? And I was like, no, I'm working on it. Sorry. But, you know, I think the the arrival speeches and stuff, I'm giving myself a little bit. The election and the arrival speeches. You've been so busy. Yeah, yeah. Really, really so, busy. So, but now, because I'm here today, you'll probably hear my podcast tomorrow. Exactly. Within 24 nice. hours, exactly. it'll be back nice. out again. Exactly, exactly. So, Tokyo Tea Time is cool. Yep. Uh, we'll and I'm on Anchor. In our podcast. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. And I'll promote yours again as well. I always send it out when I get it. I have to say, I have listened to Lauren's podcast, and I really, really enjoyed it. And she gave some great tips. There was one episode where you gave a tip about a really interesting app to download about Japanese food. 72 seasons. Yeah, which I love. I have that on my phone now. It's an amazing app. It's amazing. I remember when we listened to her first episode and compared it to ours, we both said, wow, she's way better than we are. (laughs) We're in trouble. We're in trouble. No, mine is always like, no, but people write me and they're like, I could hear your dog's leash in the background. Like, people tell me, like, how crappy the sound is. So, but I've just decided, like, if I get the technical stuff, like, you guys have a setup and microphones, and like, I talk to my phone when I'm walking my dog. That's like the extent of my sound quality. I love that. Actually, that's how we started too on Anchor. I was just walking around recording stuff, and uh, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna go on a fam trip at the end of the week, and I'm gonna just record sounds and little tidbits and conversations. You know, you should, because I was just hearing they were talking about the news media, right? And they said it's gonna change the news media because now people are so accepting of like somebody's kitchen and the background and people not so made up and like I think it's cool that we can be a little bit more real maybe Yes, yeah. which is great news for me because I'm editing our YouTube channel at the renovation Ooh. and it basically means it doesn't have to look too switched. <laughs> <laughs> I can get away with the bad when editing. Did you, how, what have you put up already? I've so missed it. No, no, it's not up yet. Oh, right. um, it's taking me a long time to get to grips with like yeah. editing yeah. stuff, yeah. but also Hard. subtitles because we're doing it in Japanese and English. Oh, cool. So it's a lot of work, but I'm going to persist and I hope to be able to get the first episode out in the next couple of days. You should totally do it because, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in Japan for resident foreigners here as well to do this kind of thing. There's a lot of houses out in the countryside that it would be a shame if they deteriorate or get destroyed. And I think we have a passion for fixing them up. So I'm so proud of you guys and I can't wait to see the YouTube channel. It'll be great. I hope, so. I hope so. I hope so. We've literally been filming everything now. Good, good, Even good. like like you know, coffee time with Kiko. Ah. 
Yeah. <laughs> everything's been everything's been filmed. You crack me up though with the, the sofa and the grill out in the backyard. Like I was dying because oh for us that's a little bit in America we'd say that's a little like redneck hillbilly. <laughs> totally, totally. Like, totally. But, yeah. So I'm I was like, oh, look at her. Trash. And she's like, no, I felt quite. And you wrote me back. Yeah. We, we, I wrote her about it, and she wrote me back and said, no, I felt quite posh with my sofa. And I was like, oh god, I hope she's not serious. Anyway. So when I moved out of my apartment in Tokyo, I took my couch, and it's covered in cat hair. To be honest, it's a material couch. Right. Itchy's quite allergic to cat hair. Oh no. So the my couch will not go into the house, but we have a massive couch shed. Um, so the couch is now outdoors, so yeah. I can sit on my couch under the couch shed next to the barbecue. And it was perfect because it was so British because you were like out on your couch, but you had like sausages. On the- <laughs> Specifically, you were grilling sausages like the first night out there. It was awesome. I was like, there she is out on the prairie with her cat couch and her sausages. Anyway, it's all good. Bangers and mash. So you had mentioned the, the how you guys had pivoted to like online experiences right now to yeah. kind of you know hold things over until people actually do come back. Do you do you think that the online experiences will stay once people do start physically traveling again? So like first of all, I, I'm going to take exception to that. Like when we decided to do it, we only decided to do it because we felt like it would continue. So okay. I don't want to invest any time in anything during this slow down to do it just because of COVID. I think if it's not something that you can maintain afterwards, you shouldn't bother because it's a big test and you don't know. So, um, so we decided early on that we thought it had a future. So I think it depends a lot on, on those of us in the industry that have decided to do it, but I think it can continue. And as I was mentioning a little bit to you guys before, is I think it's like the best way to plan a trip now. So my hope is that this will become a tool in the tool chest of travel planning, doing an online experience and getting familiar with people and places in that way is like way better than watching, you know, just watching YouTube videos is the same as just like vegging out in front of the TV, right? It's not interactive. You don't really have any control of the experience. And I think for travelers, this is such a better way to get excited and get to know about a new place. It's not personalized. And it's all about personalization these days. That's what people want, a really personalized experience. I think in Japan it makes even more sense like maybe if you're in a destination that people really know well it doesn't make as much sense but like literally in Japan inbound has centered on this one golden route of like three cities plus maybe Hiroshima Mm -hmm. but the rest of Japan is is so amazing and you can have so many great experiences but it's not easy Mm -hmm. to get there and it's not easy to know what to see or do or how to how to navigate that and so I really see online experiences as a great way of like high highlighting new places and then what we also figured out and you guys can 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 borrow this idea too because more people doing it I think will make sense but it's also a great way to introduce products so people out there that want to do something that they want people to try like your sake brewery if you want to work with me to do an online experience about your sake brewery um, and talk about it and do some sort of introduction I think people will be way more excited about visiting in person and then I would say like one other thing about it so like product is great um, all of those kinds of introductions are great but also you know it's a way to to add things into your itinerary that you might have been too afraid to add in so on the consumer side I think you guys like anybody who's listening to this who just loves traveling you should check out what's available out there because I think you'll be so um, 
there's so much dreaming you can do while we can't travel right now. But even in the future, I think this is way better than just like passively taking in data. You know, like, I mean, YouTube is fine. Guidebooks are largely dead. You can, you can see a lot of stuff online, but I think this is so much more interactive. Like get your questions asked. We just launched one about Mount Fuji area and we did it in conjunction with Shizuoka Prefecture. So the government pay is paying us to build this online experience. But it's been so cool because I get asked all the time, like, what do you need to prepare to climb Mount Fuji? And now people that want to climb Mount Fuji come on my online experience and I'll tell you everything you need to know. You can ask your questions um, and, and you can feel more prepared when you come to Japan. So, yeah, so I totally think it's going to, I hope it lasts. Mm -hmm. And I think people, I think it will also because, you know, consumers are doing so much online learning now. Yeah. And I think it's like everybody knows how to use Zoom. Like when I started doing the online experiences, they would always start with like who has used Zoom and like 80% of the people had never used it. So I'd have to do a little like this is where the mute button is and, you know, and now everyone's like, yeah, no problem, Zoom, sure. Like they have Zoom fatigue, so, <laughs> right? But uh, I think it'll exist in the future and I think it's got so much potential. And then one last thing to mention about it is that um, for operators that listen to this podcast, like imagine all of the other demographics that can't travel to your destination right now. So older people that maybe can't travel as easily anymore, but still have that wanderlust or people from um, countries where like coming to Japan is a big spend and they want to do it someday, but they can't do it this year so they can get a feeling for that. Or people with accessibility issues can travel through these online experiences. And I think it opens up this global market for your destination. Um, that's so different than, than just normal itinerary planning outreach. So yeah, like, being po positive for the future. You know, I think travels typically, you know, if you look up the definition of travel, it's a journey from point A to point B, right? right? Um, but the reality is, I mean, everyone can't travel to point B, but they still might have an affinity for said destination so now they can experience that even if they never in their life get a chance or you know the way I see it even if you've been there physically maybe once you know you can you can Go add back. on to yeah. the experience um, icing on the cake yeah and you know we all, all know in the industry that there's a customer journey that starts way before people arrive in your destination so this is just one more part of that customer oh. journey right like the, like dreaming about the trip and that planning time is as much a part of satisfaction. Like your customer relations in the pre-travel period are super important. And this is just like another tool in that time, you know? I also and people will pay you to do it. Like destinations will pay you to build it. Customers will pay you to do it with them. We're just thinking like when people are booking our tours normally, we do a, a huge number of customized tours. That right. planning stage is long. People yeah. are booking some of them Months, nearly a year yeah, in advance. Exactly. And there's an awful lot of discussion about what they're going to see and you know how does that itinerary look. Yeah. So. To be able to do it on a Zoom call right. rather than over email—it's amazing. I mean, from the even from the operator perspective, it's that amazing. can cut down <laughs> your administration significantly. Mm. A half an hour Zoom call could save you fifteen emails. Yeah, and I would say even more than that, you're cementing that relationship with your guest way before they arrive. Like, if they get to know, like, I know some of your admin team, and they're amazing. If somebody got to talk to them instead of just the email back and forth, like, they're going to be even that much more excited to like work with oh, your company. Mm. And then in our case, for 
the online experience side, you know, we have our guides do it. And it's so funny because the reviews are like, Alex was amazing. I can't wait to come to Japan and have Alex as my guide. Right. <laughs> so like, I think, yeah, I think there's so many positives and no negatives. The only negative is like, if you're a solopreneur, I would say this is a tough haul because it takes a, a good amount of time to do a decent online experience and get everything together. And I'll tell you right now, it's not going to keep the electricity turned on. Right. It's not going to pay your bills. But if you have some people to help you and you can get something up and running for your destination, wherever you are, you should totally try it. Totally, totally worth it. Love it. Yay. All right. Advice from Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> I want everyone to do them because I think we can all promote each other's as well. And I think if more operators get into doing them, then it becomes an easier step to make this a part of the customer journey always. Um, so that just about brings today's podcast to an end. Thank you very, very much, Lauren, for joining us. Um, uh, thank you for letting me go on and on, like always. <laughs> you did a little bit. Yeah. But I would say I feel like we've only just scratched the surface on you as well. Awesome. I feel like there could be a part two, three, four. Well, I'm happy for a part two. Maybe later on, let's let's hear some other people. I, I listen sure. to myself too much. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys so much, and I'm I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. And this is just another thing where we can bring people that love the travel industry together. And I really appreciate it. So yeah, I actually, keep going. I actually remember when Jason Jason Jenkins, the last guest, he said you guys are really really bold or, or ambitious to be launching a travel podcast. In this, in in this, this climate, album, yeah. Climate. We never thought about that, but yeah, I but guess. everyone yeah. wants to travel. Right. I mean, the, the demand, the demand is, there. is here. Yeah, so everybody that's listening, it'll come back. Don't worry. It don't panic. Don't panic. And until then, take a virtual tour. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Alrighty, thanks, Lauren. Bye.